0: Hey, everybody. My name's Steve. And I'm Ryan. And, Ryan, what a time to start a podcast. Indeed.
1: What a time to be alive, alive and playing (laughs) Keyforge.
0: Some might say it's time of triumph.
1: Uh, It it very well could be that time. Let (laughs) me check my watch here. Yeah, it looks like it's triumph o'clock.
0: And, and you know what? We're maybe, you know what? We're just going to keep going with the the key forge funds now you know
1: if if it weren't uh so yeah if it weren't for bad jokes you'd never appreciate the good jokes
0: that's a good point uh so this is the keychains podcast uh where you know i really honestly we're here to talk about kind of just the the parts of this game we like a lot or love i don't know like (laughs)
1: Like, love and hate i think we could cover all three
0: I think nah I don't know. I can't really think of a thing I hate right now.
1: Well, much. I just want to reserve the uh, the right to complain about things we hate in case they <laughs> pop up.
0: It wouldn't be a card game made by Richard Garfield if there wasn't just a tiny bit of hate somewhere that's that true. like just reserved hate that someone eventually will uh will bring exactly. up. Exactly. At uh, least there's no anti. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, actually, that's part of the... I don't know if you read it in the, the Time of Triumph article. That's uh, part of it now. Uh, you have to actually ante your entire deck.
1: <laughs> totally. Uh, so in case people are wondering, the Time of Triumph that we are uh, referring to is an announcement by Fantasy Flight Games about their future intentions with the organized play system. They are... They, they just, I mean, you can read the, uh, the article yourself. We're not going to go into depth of it. It's on the fantasyflightgames.com website for... Keyforge, um they talk about a bunch of different kits and everything else so we'll go we'll go over a little bit of this i'm sure other better podcasts are probably going into it in depth um but we'll kind of oh, go damn. through some some highlights and maybe talk about like some of the the little tidbits that we picked out of it things that we
0: we're excited about
1: so with that in mind what were you you know like, what are some of the uh the takeaways you took from the announcement
0: i mean i think it's it's kind of cool uh not that it, that seems so noncommittal, uh but it <laughs> It's cool. It's cool in the sense that it's just like they're going to reward people for just playing. Key oh, are you Forage. talking
1: about the the seasonal kits for open play nights?
0: Uh, I, I think really just everything. Like it, it kind of encompasses a lot of the stuff that I feel like I miss from other card games. I mean, it's not like KeyForge doesn't do this already with the like you're pretty much putting up for like a sealed event, playing Archon tournaments that sounds like a lot of fun that seems like the thing that like your your closest comparison to like magic right now right Is like you're gonna go and you're gonna play in a tournament you're gonna win a thing at the end with the deck that you made although i, I guess that doesn't get really run a whole well, locally a whole lot but you probably know more than i would on that on that side of things or you know like you go in a sealed or, or draft event and you're gonna just win small stuff wizards isn't putting out like kits for these stores to to kind of you know set up as the 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 prize at the end usually the prize at the end is just right well and in addition
1: uh and in addition to that um one of the things that's kind of interesting about the approach that um ffg is taking with this uh the that whole the fact that they're even doing a a kit a seasonal kit to support open play nights is really i mean granted uh, my only experience is with magic events really um I you know I don't really play any other card games Pokemon Yu Gi Oh or anything like that I played Naruto once upon a time um, but the the organized play there wasn't really a sit down show up just kind of play whoever else shows up do whatever you want and still get something like that that's kind of a foreign concept um, in my experience amongst other card games I don't want to just assume blanketly that there's no other card game ever that's done anything like that but it's kind of cool that just showing up and playing um, will now reward you even in a small way just the fact that you get something is, yeah uh, is I, really
0: it, interesting. it reminds me a lot of uh when we were playing a lot of miniatures games together specifically yeah. like war machine where yeah like the store would get like a kit for an event that that the that the company was running at the time and you'd get you'd show up and you you, <clears throat> you could just win out prizes for just participation it does sound weird that there's this whole, like, everybody gets a trophy kind of thing. But at the same time, like, I really do like the idea that you're not going to walk away empty-handed just for coming in and playing the game. Like, you're, they're actively rewarding you for coming and doing the thing that you 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 want to do.
1: And, and a big difference between, you know, Participation Trophy and, uh, like, the Seasonal Cat for Open Play Nights is, you know, you can put the trophy – I don't know, you can use that trophy to track your – key count or emperor count. I mean, like, it's it's a much different, there's a big difference between a participation trophy and something actually tangibly useful in the game. And that's a big difference between, um, you know, just everyone getting a trophy and, and getting something useful for going. And it's a great marketing, you know, great marketing tool for stores to be able to drive play. Um, yeah. People never played before. Okay, we'll show up, you get a deck, and now you get a cool free thing just for sitting here and playing a little bit and maybe come to our tournament next time.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's also true too, is just like when you're, when it comes to a tournament too, you're, you're going to get something for just coming and, and playing. And, you know, you might win something at the end, uh, like something bigger, but you're going to get Amber Shards. Um, it, it, for those who, of you who are still kind of new to the game and you haven't been, uh, well, register your decks. I would say first off, go register your decks, um, uh, which you can do from there, the Keyforge app mm-hmm. on iOS or the Google play store, but you're going to get Amber Shards for just playing the game as like Going to, to well, events. So,
1: well, and so uh, what Steve's referring to with the amber shards is the uh, when you register a deck in the app itself, it will show you your amber shards. And the app is linked to the Fantasy Flight Games website. You have an account there that you have to set up, and you can always log in on a website. It's not just app only. Um, yeah, sure. Anyway, it tracks your amber shard count, um, which is kind of a a currency for playing the game and you can uh, those shards will like upgrade themselves into keys kind of paralleling the in-game mechanics um and if this currency you when you go to like a convention or a big tournament or a regional area or something like that um they'll have a prize wall i mean no one knows what's going to be in the prize wall but probably cool neat things play mats uh sleeves deck boxes that sort of thing tokens and you'll be able to redeem your shards and keys for those things um, which is really cool because it means just literally by buying decks and opening packs you can get free stuff when you go and then participating in open play nights going to tournaments doing any of this stuff win lose or draw you're going to be rewarded with cool neat little extras
0: yeah so that all starts on the the 22nd of this yeah. month actually so we you know uh we'll probably have more to say coming than the next episode uh mostly because like we've kind of read this over and and we have a, a good idea of like what's going on and what it's going to be like uh so that i'm ex- i'm excited for it this game is roped me in hook line, and sinker so i i'm interested in in kind of getting into that competitive scene. No,
1: no, sorry. Uh, The, this, this information is also on the uh, crucible cast. Is that their official podcast?
0: Uh, Yeah. So, so I think that's like their, that's, I I guess the best way you could put it is their marketing podcast for this. Uh, I don't think they actually like feed it out to any sort of like RS, RSS feeds, but they do, I, I believe it's just like a YouTube only thing that they, they end up pushing out to like their their main pages and things like that but yeah like it's it i watched it when they released it and it was uh that was when they kind of hinted a lot about the chain bound stuff uh which is something we'll probably talk about at a, a later date because it's a it's a lot in a, in a way and i want to be able to get that right when we talk about it so but yeah they, that's their kind of like delivery method of news outside of like these articles that they're putting out this is like their more personalized touch where you know they're, they're explaining it without the kind of the in in world flair that they're kind of throwing in with, with like these articles. Um, it, it's more just like kind of, kind of blunt sit down and we'll talk about it kind of thing. Not blunt's a bad word, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Personalized touch. There we go. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. So I think we wanted, I wanted to talk to you or not talk to you specifically. Although I don't know.
1: Wait, there's no one uh, else here. So you don't have a lot of options.
0: <laughs> well, we have the audience there listening.
1: Well, I don't think they're going
0: to uh, respond. <laughs> they might. Uh, just late in the it'll, it'll
1: be a very delayed response. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh,
0: so uh, I want to talk about our favorite houses and in, in kind of well, I want to talk about our favorite houses and our least favorite houses and maybe just some things about you know the game that we've been enjoying in general. I know like this is not your your thing, but man, do I just love. Th- I love the simple fact that I don't have to spend a, like more hours building a deck than actually playing it. Well, I don't.
1: <clears throat> well, it's not that I don't like the lack of construction. It's not like I, I take a mark against the game for the fact that I can't construct a deck. Although I will say that I I would like somehow some sort of constructing type of thing. Um, I actually do appreciate that I don't have to spend extra time fiddling and tweaking and tuning with my decks. My deck is just my deck. Um, and the time expenditure is mostly just getting good with that particular deck or learn, you know, just familiarizing myself with the game in general and getting better with the strategy and everything else. Um, I, I kind of miss a little bit of that personalization, that personal touch that you can get, um, by, tweaking a deck, tuning it, finding out which card is better than the other card. But I don't need that with Keyforge because I have that with Magic. So Keyforge as it is, as long as I'm still playing Magic, I don't need that fix, that element. I don't need that with Keyforge. Um I appreciate Keyforge just the way it is with that, you know, with that in mind.
0: Yeah, I I found that I've just spent I, I I guess the the thing I can pre preface this with is that I have 10 decks. Uh <laughs> I know that there are some people out there who have a significant number of decks. Uh, I know a couple of them, but (laughs) I I have 10 decks and, and I actually, there's a couple that I, I I haven't even taken out of the wrapper yet. Um, I have played a couple of them in the crucible, which has been pretty fun, but I've spent more time playing decks that I just want to learn. So I, I found like, there, there's like a lot of things, especially in like constructed magic, where you're sitting there and you're like, all right, I built this deck and this is my theory on how this deck is going to go. And then you end up spending the rest of the time learning that deck and then going, oh, this doesn't actually work out the way I wanted it to or this works out way better than I wanted it to. And then you're kind of like that's where that, that ground like grind time comes in. I've just found that I've been just grinding like I just get right to the grinding out what I need to do with this deck. And and uh, I was actually listening to somebody who was streaming the game today, uh, and she had mentioned how she's been finding that just grinding out decks has proved things untrue to her. Where she was like, "Oh, I went on a four like a four game loss with the stack, and then I eventually came out, and it's like now it's like one of my most winning decks." It's like, okay. Like it, there is certainly a amount of time spent in learning a deck uh, that can actually turn that like deck's power level around for you. Definitely. Uh, Cause I have a couple that I think are just garbage. And then as I started playing with them, I was like, actually now I'm seeing where the pieces start to fit together and how I can manipulate my turn to win. Right. And
1: I, I completely understand it's, it's, as you get familiar with any given deck, you're going to know your outs. You're, out, so you're going to know what's coming up. If they've got like a, a big present board set, so you'd be like, well, do I want to swing in and take out their, uh, you know, their Witch of the Eye, or do I want to hold back because I know that I have a lot of removal in this deck and I haven't seen a lot of it yet, which means I'm due to draw into some removal soon. And with that in mind, that means I'm going to need to choose how x this turn because if i get that removal it'll be in house y so i want to make sure i do this thing in that order and all of that is going to come from familiarity with the deck knowing your way through it because you're i mean you're not going to be sit there uh, excuse me you're not going to be sitting there with your archon card like what cards have i drawn oh that's right okay so that means i have these ones and this one's a rem-, you know like <laughs> you probably i don't know if they have a judge equivalent yet but they'd probably get you called uh, on some sort of slow play
0: yeah, evaluating they do. uh th- that that does exist oh but what are they
1: oh, marshals yeah. is that it yeah the marshals yeah. oh, i'm awesome at remembering so, yeah, that
0: remember yeah so thing. so having kind of said that it turns out my favorite deck is actually like has two of the houses that i i enjoy the most in it and the name of the deck is he who manufactures spirits which is a really weird deck name <laughs> uh not the weirdest deck name uh that i even own but uh it, it's
1: it's so neat. wait, let's let's go over that name for a minute because I'm, now I'm looking over he who manufactures spirits. So he makes spirits. So it's someone that makes spirits. So he kills people. Whoever this he this nebulous mm-hmm. he <laughs> is, he makes spirits by killing people. That's how I'm ever. taking this name, which is pretty great. Yeah. He's a spirit manufacturer. I don't think he's pulling him out of thin air. I think he's just removing the body element. <laughs> so that's pretty great.
0: I mean, it, it's not wrong. Uh, looking at like the the three houses in the deck are Dis, Mars, and Untamed, yep. and so some key cards in the deck are key to Dis, uh, which is uh, an artifact that you play. It has uh, Omni, which means that you can play it at, during any house phase. It doesn't requ- it doesn't require you be in Dis to to use it, uh, and it's sacrifice this uh, sacrifice key to Dis, destroy each creature. Uh, so so that becomes fun then i have the master of two i have the master of two in it which is uh he is a four power creature demon not that the i I haven't seen types matter a ton in the game yet but i'm I'm sure or traits is what what they're called but uh, i'm sure it'll become a a thing later on i I know a lot of mars and uh sanctum cares um but i haven't seen a ton of it outside of those two houses but i could be wrong uh, haven't seen every card in this game yet because I've I've only mostly browsed through a lot of them. But uh, so Master of Two's ability is Reap. You may destroy a creature with power two. Uh, so yeah, so it's that that side's pretty murdery. And then the the Mars side is actually where most of my creatures are actually coming from in this deck. But it, it's got uh, two Mega Mouths in it, which are uh, I I can't ever pronounce his first name, so I'm not going to. Uh, he's a three power creature. Uh, whereas a Fight Reap, you may use a non-Mars creature.
1: Oh, uh, I can't think of the name, but I know what you're and talking then about. My, I can't think of the name either, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's like Yul quicks or you'll. I, I think you
1: get I, a pass if you can't pronounce Mars uh, cards. That's fine. I, it's, <laughs> it's like trying to produce things, uh, pronounce things out of Thulu without any sort of external frame of reference. You get a pass when you get it wrong.
0: yeah uh, Fair. Um, I actually like this deck because actually more because of the untamed side yeah. side of things. And and actually, I want to save a lot of the things that I want that I'm, I'm going to bring up about the untamed side uh, for a second. Here. Now, Steve,
1: you mentioned that in this deck, uh, two of the three houses were some of your favorites. And uh, you said it was dis untamed in Mars where the house is in there, um, which uh, is out of those three, which were the two that that were your favorites?
0: So it's definitely dis and untamed. Dis is just <laughs> rude, uh, but not, and, and that's not bec- not necessarily why I like them. A- and there are some some neat things that come with this, But the thing is, is every time I play this game, I find that uh, board state matters a lot. And so being able to control that board state without having to put too many of my own things at risk in doing so is, is a lot of fun. The like Brobnar, for instance, is like kind of the opposite where they have this this ability to to control the board through fighting, but I often end up taking a lot of damage for doing it. Where diss is like this creature comes into play, bounce another creature your opponent's creature to your hand, or bounce a creature to your hand or to its owner's hand. Things like that. So this ends up being a lot of fun, but at the same time it's like very risky. Uh, which is which is another thing I like. Like again, like that key to dis, like that puts everything of my own in, right. in, at risk as well. But at a certain time, you know, at a certain point, that especially if you
1: can get ahead of your no. opponent, or I mean, sorry, if your opponent is ahead of you, it's a pretty good catch up mechanic because that's gonna that's gonna wreak havoc with a pl- any plan that they had. Well, I suppose they get a turn because you'll yeah. you'll play the key uh, exhausted. They get a turn to adjust their plan, and then you'll come back and be able to use the key to dis.
0: And you know it's a great threat and effect. Uh, you just keep it on the board and be like, "Hey, you know, don't commit too much because I'm going to blow right. it all up." At and an point. interesting
1: strategic component too, Key to Kita Dis. Um, I mean, you said that it's it's a deterrent, but I I find um, that whenever someone has a way to do mass destruction and it's telegraphed by being like in this case an artifact sitting on the table, uh, it's almost better to force them to use it by playing hard into it. Um, I mean, to a point, you don't just like dump your entire hand and be like, okay, now blow everything up. Cool. Uh, but you, you want to force them to use it on your terms by playing threatening important things, but not all of them, not too many. That way they use the key and they think, haha, I got all your stuff. And then you're like, yeah, you got what I was okay with you getting. Now I'm going to play this and play this and play this and play this. And you no longer have a key to threaten me with. Um, which makes right. it very that, that back and forth is very right. interesting because you play the key to disc and you might be aware that your opponent might be doing that, but then again, they might not have enough material in their hand to hold back and they might be bluffing a sense of I'm pretending to put threatening things out to pop the key. And then as the key player, you're thinking, Do I are they are they slow playing? Are they sandbagging cards in their hand? Do I use the key now? Do I try to wait for a little more value? And it's this very interesting back and forth. Um, psychological game as far as when to use that key for the most value.
0: Yeah, and it it ends up being kind of this. <laughs> kind of lost my train of thought there, so we're gonna actually just <laughs> okay. move on. Uh, so I guess some like interesting cards in, in disc. Like I know we brought up key to disc, but I really like that's not like necessarily the cards that I actually find super interesting in the house. I think cards. The first card that comes to mind for me is Control the Weak. So Control the Weak is a an action card. It gives you an amber when you play it. Uh, and then it has play. Choose a house on your opponent's identity card. Your opponent must choose that house or, as their active house on their next turn. So that becomes like very, very interesting interactions in like, what do I know that person has in hand? Like, if they're playing a bunch of Mars cards and they're archiving or... or they're they're using a bunch of mars cards to, like archives some stuff and or they got logos and they're doing things like that can i completely disrupt a turn by knowing like they're going to play logos next turn or they're going to play untamed next turn and maybe they got a key charge that they, that's sitting in that archive pile or in their hand and i'm going to be like oh no i'm choosing sanctum this turn and you have to play sanctum and the the ability to like kind of force my opponent into like it, it comes back to that idea is like it's always better to force your opponent into two mm. bad decisions. And don't ever give them a good decision. So when you... I mean, control the weak, again, totally high risk. It can completely blow up in your face when you're like, they don't have a ton of Shadows cards on the, the table. I'm... Uh, you know, I'm at 7 Amber, and then I say, you have to play Shadows, and they go, great, Miasma. <laughs> and then I now can't Forge Key on my next turn because they miasmed would me. Uh, so, like... It, it, it's like one of those fun cards for me that like makes the game uh it, it brings that kind of uh, poker like that that poker mentality sure. to the game
1: and uh, I think I that – uh, I mean you mentioned high risk stuff the key to dis and control the week specifically um are very important, powerful cards that reward you for either knowing your opponent's deck or at least being able to pick up on what their deck might be trying to do. I mean, Key to this, if you know your opponent's deck well, uh, which obviously you have access to their Archon card. Is it Archon or Archon? Okay, I think it's uh, Archon. You have access to their Archon card, so you can give it a quick glance. But having game knowledge, being able to leverage game knowledge, and just name recognition off those cards because you all, you obviously can't look up every single card on someone's Archon card before the game starts. Um,
0: so you specifically not supposed. To. Uh,
1: but being able to recognize, oh yeah, I know what these cards are. I can kind of parse what this deck is trying to do. I kind of get an idea of what's going on. Um, so that you use your key to disc most effectively, or seeing uh being looking through the card names and saying, Oh, okay, so Lair, their untamed is really weak. So if I get a chance to play control the weak, um, depending on their board state, depending on what's in their discard pile, uh, depending on what I've seen come uh, come around in the game, untamed is a pretty good target because even if they have a, a hand full of untamed, it's a pretty weak house for their deck. Um so seems like that very interesting rewarding you for your knowledge uh, card type of thing I mean maybe not the entire faction but it definitely seems like um, like a control uh, element yeah
0: yeah agreed um, so that the other card that I find really interesting in in this is uh, snudge uh, so what snudge is is snudge is a uh, he is a four-power creature. He has Fight, Reap, Return an Artifact or Flank creature to its owner's hand. A uh, couple of things that I love about this card. First off, uh, if you go look through the entire game set, Artifact removal is really hard to come by. I can think of off the top of my head that have Artifact removal. There's a lot of Artifact taxing, which is super cool. I actually think that's a really awesome uh, mechanic where it, it, I mean, it's control. In a sense, where you got to pay me one amber to use your artifacts, and there's a bunch of cards that do that. Uh, there's actually even one in Diss itself. Uh, but the ability to just bounce that kind of scary thing before they have the chance to crack it, because there's no, you know, there's no ability to react to things uh, in real time within this game. So if I drop a snudge, I'm able to somehow ready him in that same turn. Uh, I can bounce that key to Diss back, or I can bounce. Uh, what's the Shadows card? I'm trying to think of at the top of my head. Uh, subtle Maul. Bouncing that Subtle Maul back to their hand so they can't make me discard a card uh, on their turn uh, are really you know cool things like that. And if I can't ready Snudge and there's something on that table that you know has a sacrifice outlet like the like Key to diss or, or anything like that, they're forced to use that before I get Snudge out or, or before I can actually use Snudge because then I set them back a turn. So I, I I like Snudge a lot. I think he's he's probably one of my favorite creatures in in the yeah. In Snudge the house. seems
1: very cool, and this just seems like a cool uh, house in general. Their art is really neat.
0: Yeah, I mean this game has pretty consistent art throughout the entire the entire set, but you can definitely like. There's a couple times where I look and be like, oh, that is a completely different artist. And I'm not saying that that seems like a, a, a an insult in a in a kind of way, but like it's just good that they had a bunch of artists who could. You could effectively mimic each other throughout the entire set of cards, and make everything look nice and cohesive. So I, I, it's, that's pretty awesome. Um, so my other favorite house is Untamed, and it and it's mostly just because the creatures are just so interesting, and, and like it does the other thing too, where I can just pump out raw Ember as I need to, and and cheat Keys into play, uh, which which I mean how many times has someone like key charged you on that last turn and just been like, Oh, I won because you couldn't stop me from actually doing this one thing. Uh, it, it, it may feel bad for my opponent, but it, man, it feels so good. Uh, specifically someone miasming you and then key charging <laughs> like the next turn. Uh, it's so great. Um, uh, so I, I guess I, we, we talked enough about key charge. that I should actually bring up sure. what key charge does. Um, so key charge is, uh, an action that when you play it uh, you lose one amber and then you forge a key at the current cost uh, which is cool because it is a scaling it, it's, it's actually a scaling cost um, in the sense of like it's always at current cost so and, and all, you'll only ever lose one so if someone if you have a titan mechanic out there who reduces your amber like cost by one Or reduces everybody's amber cost by one. Uh, Or if your opponent has a mermook out there that increases your, like, your, the opponent's keys by one, it's always going to be that cost. If you look at some of the other key cheating cards, they usually have an incredibly high cost that is reduced by some, some board state thing. But this is just like you lose an amber. If you have enough to, to forge a key after losing that one amber, you got it. There's your key. Um, so I, I think that card's really, really interesting, but it, it's certainly not the most interesting card to me, be, specifically because, specifically because of the fact that it, it's it's just kind of like a "here I win" button most of the time, or "here now I win more" card, and 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 that's, and that, and I mean, and that's fine. Like it, it's a good card. It's just not interesting to me, and so that—that's what I when I was when we were talking about this, and I was picking out my cards, like I was just like, "What are the most the most interesting cards to me?" Uh, so, so with having said that, uh, "Perilous Wild" is one of my. It is a card that I recently discovered through a deck that I had got, and uh, it it is. Only interesting to me because it is one of the few things that interact with elusive creatures outside of Skirmish. What does it do? Or not Skirmish. Yeah, Skirmish. Not not Skirmish. What is that? Oh, the Niffle Ape is what I'm thinking of. So uh, Perilous Wild is uh, when you, it's an action. When you play it, uh, you uh, destroy each creature with the elusive keyword. That's pretty crazy. Uh, which elusive is uh, when you attack a creature uh, for the first time, it deals no damage and it takes no damage. Uh, so, and they, if you have a card that, you know, you have a really be- big, beefy creature who's going to kill, like, an elusive creature, which you find a lot of elusive in Shadows, um, you have to commit two creatures to killing it every time. Uh, so, this is a board wipe that only board wipes elusive creatures. Note, uh, which I love. Uh, it's important to note
1: that um, the elusive keyword, uh, for those who might not know, um, only is uh, excuse me it's important to note that the elusive keyword is only relevant for fighting so if you have a card that just straight up deals damage that's not blocked by elusive um just the fighting right which
0: right so so that's what makes this card super interesting compared to like other board waves that you could possibly have i mean like like, Key to disc, as we mentioned before, it's going to blow up everything on the table, so that's your stuff as well. And, like, you may have a little... Right, creatures it does table, affect yours. Uh, so you, you're, you're still running that chance, yeah. But a lot of other board waves are, like, deal X damage to all creatures. Um, and playing those, that's, again, it's going to hit your things. You're going to put your own stuff at risk. Um, so, like, the thing that I like about this is it deals with a problem that you may not have on your side right? So you can be like, oh, well, you have a bunch of urchins out. Here's my Perilous Wilds. They all die. And now I'm going to do... Now I can reap with my creatures because the board state is a little more in favor for me. Um, and you're not going to be able to get like free reaps off these creatures. Um, I guess we've talked a lot about re- reaping and, and maybe not the mechanic, what it does itself. So when you reap a creature... So creatures have two actions that they, they can do a turn. Uh, one is fight, which you tap it and uh, I'm gonna use uh, I should not say tap it. You exhaust it, which is turning the card sideways. You target a creature on your opponent's side, and they deal their damage to each other. Um, where reaping is when you exhaust the creature, you gain an amber. And a lot of things have triggers based off of reaping or fighting that give little kind of modifications to what's about to happen., uh, so so that's why i i it's a it's a cool thing because like giving people free reaps because you didn't yeah like they're not going to commit like weaker things to fighting they're just going to reap with those little guys uh so getting rid of them is is, is a, a big bonus and a lot of elusive stuff has low power but you have to commit so much to getting rid of it it's like eh, perilous wild yeah okay definitely my
1: it's a very very strong card for some very uh-huh. obnoxious difficult to remove creatures
0: yeah, I mean, Shadows is uh, one of the, based on what I can tell on the internet, uh, Shadows is one of the most popular houses nice. in the game. So it's uh, it's not a bad card to have in the deck. Uh, the other card uh, for uh, the other card for Untamed that I really really like is Dew Fairy, and I mean it's kind of boring, uh, but it it's fun for the the kind of high risk, high reward style play that i like to do uh so it's a two power creature it has elusive so if i were to perilous wild uh while i had a do fairy out that'd be very <laughs> very bad um, but it has a, an ability that is reap gain one uh gain one amber so when you reap with it and uh, you gain your amber as normal and then the reap trigger happens which gives you another amber Uh, So it's a nice way to to kind of race out that that Amber. Uh, It's not as fast as you would say um, Dust Pixie, which is another one power creature that when it comes into play, it just gives you two Amber. So if you can protect the Dew Fairy, say if you were playing Shadows uh, and you had some things that could redirect damage to other creatures, you could keep this Dew Fairy on the table and just reap forever and uh, get two every time. I mean, you get... A deck with three of these which i've not seen that yet but i do have a deck with two uh you can pump out a key every turn as long as you can keep them alive which rarely happens but again it's one of those like fun kind of i know this is going to blow up as soon as i it, as soon as it hits the table but if i can get that one turn with it I'm I'm good.
1: Well, it's a it's a really it's kind of a must-answer card, and it's annoying to answer it because it's it's a two, so it's not negligible damage if you use one of your creatures to fight it, but you can't go after something that's maybe more more threatening or a juicier target like a like a witch of the hunt uh, or is it witch of the hunt or witch of the eye.
0: Uh, both are pr- pretty scary. I mean, the the running joke is if it's, it has yeah, witch DNA, get rid um, of it.
1: So, I mean, you want to get rid of a you know a witch, but at the same time, these guys are just going to continually generate value if you don't get rid of them. And like I said, it's got two powers, so it's not like it's you know if you if you're hitting it with your uh, your niffle ape to trying to get past oh that's not even taking into account the fact that it has elusive. So you hit it with two things. Um, assuming you don't have a way to bypass the elusive, you're hitting it with two different creatures, which means it's dealing four damage back out before you can take it out. So,
0: uh, so it won't, it won't deal damage out um, because elusive no all damage. So oh, of elusive, okay, uh, I
1: didn't realize that. So neither yes. creature deals damage. Okay, so that would be now that I'm thinking about it, man, it blocks the first hit, but then still deals its, its damage back. That would be kind of busted. Okay, but okay, so still.
0: Uh there is a card there is a card that does it, I I think sure. I'd have to go look it up at some point but I think there is a card that does ignore the, the first amount of damage oh you know what? I'm confusing you, yeah. myself so, so this is
1: still a really yeah. strong card because it's a must remove it's going to take two hits um and it's still going to deal it's it's going to deal two damage back um and you can't you just can't ignore it and it it just feels bad it feels bad man it's a good card. It does. It's it's Feels one of really those
0: bad.
1: It's a so, uh, uh in kind of a I feel like it's going to be an underappreciated workhorse in a lot of decks. Um like it's not it's not flashy, it's not strong, it's not a rare. I mean it's it, what is it a common? Yeah, so I mean it's, it's not common. it's not flashy, it's not powerful, it's not, you know, it, it's a common, but it's going to do work. You get even even just one of these on the board and you're vastly supplementing your, um, your ember output. Um, it's, it's just a uh, cards like that are really, um, I think underappreciated.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's, I mean, the dust pixie is one of those cards where it's like when the dust pixie hits the table, it's already hit the table. It's done the work yeah. that it needs to do. Generally, a lot of people will remove it because they're like, well, if I let it live on the table for one more turn and you reap with it, now you've gotten three yeah. amber out of that card. Uh, so people generally just answer Dust Pixie because it's like, well, I don't want you to, I don't want to give you the free amber. Uh, but like this is, this is like a little trickier to pull off, and it, it ends up feeling real good when you get like two or three turns out of it, and you're like, yeah, I can guarantee myself a, a key pretty quickly. You know, with all the other cards that yep. I'm going to support it with, uh, I can guarantee myself yeah. a key really, really quickly. Uh, if you're a real jerk and you can house cheat <laughs> it, that's oh, even man, more that's fun. That's just mean. So how about you, Ryan? So, so what what are your some of your favorite favorite things well, in this
1: game um, so far? So interestingly enough, the Dew Fairy, it being like a, uh, an underappreciated, non-flashy workhorse, um, really is a great way to describe my favorite deck. Uh, it is Richard the Scaled, and I don't want to like it. Like, it's got nothing impressive in it, not really. It's got no, like, crazy, powerful, amazing cards. Um, if I tried to sell it online... It'd probably just be $10, but it just, it puts in work. It's got some like fantastic cards in it um, that that just work really well together. Uh, And it's a, it's a great, it's a great example of a deck being more than just the sum of its parts. They, they come together really well. Like uh, I had a game where, uh, so I sorry, I should say the houses in this deck, um, because that'll be relevant. (laughs) The houses in this deck are untamed. Sanctum, and Shadows. Um, And I've had games where uh, I've had uh, two Bulwarks on the table. Um, Bulwark is a Sanctum card, it's a creature, um, four power, two armor, and each of Bulwark's neighbors gets plus two armor. Um, So I've had two Bulwarks, and then in between those two Bulwarks, a Witch of the Eye, which is an untamed creature, uh, three power, and when you reap it, return a card from your discard pile to your hand. So a bulwark on either side of the witch. So that meant the witch had four armor alongside its three power. And then to kind of a uh, coup de gras, the whole thing I had, it gets worse. Well, the, and so, and, and all of this happened in a game. So this is not magic Christmas land, or at least maybe it is, but I got it. I pulled it off once. So I had, uh, so I had the two bulwarks. I had the witch in the middle. Uh, and then I was able to put mantle of the zealot on the witch. Mantle of the zealot is an upgrade sanctum upgrade Which reads, this creature gains, you may use this creature as if it belonged to the active house. So house cheating. So I got that on the witch. So that meant that not only did the witch have four armor and three power, so effectively you needed to hit it for seven in one shot to take it out. But every single one of my turns, I was able to pull something out of my discard pile. which was miasma in this particular game and i was able to just declare shadow as my house every turn use the witch to return miasma and lock my opponent out of the game for several turns uh, while i forged my third key it was very rude Uh, my opponent was my wife and uh, i definitely slept on the couch that night
0: (laughs) i was actually gonna say like yeah that like that that feels bad like i felt bad knowing i can't do anything with <laughs> with that discard pile, like getting rid of you tinkering in your discard pile, is just not.
1: Yeah, I not felt fun. bad doing it. Not bad enough to not do it, but you know, I felt bad doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I. That's pretty rude. Uh, that I actually had to go look and see if Mantle of the Zealot worked that way, and yeah, it does not say Sanctum specifically. It just says as long as it belongs to the active house, or. Use as if it belongs to your house. That's that's pretty rude. Uh, yeah, fair. And this deck has some really really neat things that I I appreciate. Like Mighty Tiger seems so unassuming of a thing, but it's like it's a four creature a four power creature comes into play, deal four damage to enemy creature. Uh, again, I, I have such problems with elusive um, being able to. To do something where I can just pop that thing on the table and, and kill a problem, or at least a four power pro- or lower problem, uh, I do like that a lot. I mean, again, very unassuming card, right?
1: Uh, and it has uh, it has two Niffle-Apes in it. Um, Ape's a, a untamed creature, three power. While Ape is attacking, ignore Taunt and Elusive. So it's it's a pretty it's a surgical fight removal type of thing steve mentioned mighty tiger that's an untamed creature with four power Uh, when you play it deal four to an enemy creature Um, so that's important because it it bypasses elusive Uh, the deck just like i said there's it's just mediocre cards they're decent they're they're you know they're good enough but there's nothing amazing in it and there's a good amount of removal in this deck the shadow has a lot of removal in it there's one or two little board wipes. The Sanctum has a good presence, but there's nothing. I don't know, and maybe this is this could be my nievete with the game, my inexperience speaking. But there's nothing in this deck that's like, oh man, that's a flashy, powerful, strong card that's gonna like blow the doors off of the game if people, you know, see that I have this deck. But it just it puts in work. I haven't I, since I started keeping track, um, which I. Th- uh, I, th- I think it's two three and oh since i started keeping track um and i think before that it only lost one game out of uh, probably a total of six or seven games uh, maybe two yeah. two losses but it's still it just it works it just does does what it does and it can get through a lot of hate um but it's fun it only has one of my preferred houses in it uh which is shadow um in other games, I like the the grindy, long control games, uh, and Shadow lends itself to that. Uh, it also has a lot of self-sacrificing stuff for value. Um, one of my favorite combos is Bad Penny, uh, who's a Shadow creature with one power. Uh, when she gets destroyed, you return her to your hand. Um And then Pawn Sacrifice, which is a shadow action. Uh, You get an Ember for playing it. And when you play it, sacrifice a friendly creature. If you do, deal three damage each to two creatures. So you play the bad penny. Then you play Pawn Sacrifice, sacrificing the bad penny since she goes to the discard pile uh effectively since she's destroyed she comes back to your hand instead and you still get the benefit of playing pawn sacrifice you then can replay penny because you've already chosen shadows as your house and you just basically got a free pawn sacrifice all the upside of pawn sacrifice with none of the effective downside um and there's there's a lot of cards that uh that work similarly that kind of come together like that uh, miasma is a card i mentioned earlier um when i was talking about that lockout it's a shadows action generates one amber uh when you play it your opponent skips their forge of key step on the next turn um just really mean they get a whole bunch of, of ember they're excited they're gonna win the game and you play miasma to shut them down at least for a turn while you dig for another answer
0: miasma is so rude is. I, I honestly like miasma bad penny i i've, I've said this several times uh if I ever get a maverick in the deck, uh, which uh, mavericks are cards that are printed out of house, mm-hmm. uh, so you have a chance of getting a card that would be printed in a, a completely like you can get a bad penny printed in, you know, Mars or something like that. So my my thought is is that if I ever get a maverick card, I want a. I don't even care what house it is, <laughs> or maybe logos. I might not be so excited about a bad penny in logos, but any of the other houses if i could get a bad penny in any of those other houses i would be smitten with that deck it could be garbage and i'd be like great i'm going to find some dirty thing that i can do with bad penny because there are so many things that you can do with a creature that you play on the tape like play on the battlefield blow it up and play it deck on there again it's so strong of a card like and it, it, it's so unassuming too like the first time i saw it I was like this card's garbage yeah. but now i'm like no i i must have bad penny forever it's
1: a really sweet but card i also nice. i don't like you knocking on logos like that because logos is my other favorite house um a lot of people you know, a lot of people like shadows a lot of people feel like logos um i'm not you know unique in my my tastes here uh i don't <laughs> they, i don't it's not the power of logos that that appeals to me um it's just drawing cards like i'd be happy if i had a, a deck that could just fly through itself never win a game but i could draw the whole thing every game <laughs> uh to that effect I, I i like random kind of like like come from behind come out of nowhere moments um, where you've pretty much lost the game and you've got almost no chance. And then you just play one card and that lets you play another card and you kind of daisy chain the sequence of uh, playing multiple cards. And then all of a sudden you're one step away from winning and your opponent is scrambling to deal with what you were able to just do. Um, to that end, Wild Wormhole, hands down, is one of my... is hands down my favorite card in the Ugh. entire game right now. <laughs> it's just so... I, I just like that ridiculous, random, like, all right, well, uh, it's if I don't stop you right now, you're going to forge your third key on, on the next turn, and uh, so I guess I'll just Wild Wormhole, and sure enough, uh, in one of the games against Steve, I was able to Wild Wormhole a Miasma and <laughs> shut down his, uh, his key forging. Uh, did
0: that... Didn't that oh god that was so hilarious.
1: bad did i end up winning that so i don't remember bad. now did i end up winning that game
0: i think you did i think you did I was, that was when we <laughs> played last at uh, midgard right Right, right, like, right. That, yeah that oh god that i was so mad
1: so i should i should just uh, wild wormhole uh, is a logos action generates an ember when you play it um and when you play it play the top card of your deck so you cheat your well you maybe not cheat because if there's costs associated if there's conditions associated with playing whatever card you reveal you have to honor those before you can play it um but it it kind of replaces itself with whatever's on top of your deck anyway and it gives you an ember so i was able to yeah i was able to use wild wormhole the top card of my deck was a miasma (laughs) that shut steve down gave me an extra turn to come back and, and ultimately win that game um so it's just that, that kind of randomness is something I appreciate. I also, uh, and I know I'm not alone in liking library access, um, but that is one of my other absolutely favorite cards. Um, I need a second. There it is. Uh, library access is a Logos action. Uh, when you play it, for the remainder of the turn, each time you play another card, draw a card. So you play your library access, you play your wild wormhole, you draw a card... Then you play the card off the top with Wild Wormhole. Since that card itself gets played, you draw another card. And so you can, like I mentioned, daisy chaining, you can just start drawing tons of cards and playing them and, and get yourself out of a bad spot or put yourself so far ahead that your opponent has no chance to kind of come back at you. Um, I just like drawing cards. So regardless of the outcome of drawing all of these cards, I'm just happy to have 10 cards in my hand, even if they're doing nothing. So that's definitely... yeah.
0: I bet- good. No. So oh, so that that actually brings up like or, or some really good points about why Wild Wormhole specifically is um, that there the, the the requirements are are uh, can be can that that is one thing about Wild Wormhole that can totally like put you in a bad situation. Uh, because you don't end up getting any benefit out of it. So the the ruling for that, uh, because there's actually some questions about this, because there is a card in Brobnar called the Kel... I think it's Kelfi Dragon. And it's a Khalifi a Dragon, sorry. Khalifi Dragon is a 12-power creature that cannot be played unless you have 7 or more Amber. And then it has a fight reap ability, which is gain 1 and then deal 5 damage to a creature. So it is... A bomb when it hits the table but this is where the interesting thing happens is you can't play this card with wild wormhole if you don't have seven amber so what happens if you do do that is you play the wild wormhole you look at the card if the card does not fulfill the requirements you put it back on the top of the deck uh, so that's that's kind of rough i mean it gives you kind of a neat tutor or scry effect um but at the same time it it's it that can probably feel bad and then you kind of let on to something that you might have at the top of your deck that you know someone's going to be able to prepare for um but that's got to feel real good when you play the wild wormhole for that seventh amber and then flip the cleafy dragon and you're (laughs) like like that's got to feel really good
1: yeah. I mean, now Wild Wormhole does also have uh, its downside where you could play the Wild Wormhole and the card you flip over um, deals three damage or two damage to every creature in play. And your opponent happens to have no creatures in play. So you're just hurting yourself at that point, which has also yeah. happened. So it's, it's and I like I like that risk reward of the, uh, the Wild Wormhole versus, um, you know, so it's, it's why I like logos as much as I do um yeah so we've we've talked a little bit about uh you know what we do like so what are what are some of the houses that you are less a fan of steve
0: uh and it's in my favorite deck but mars <laughs> is uh, i it so so it was a funny thing uh that i realized uh t- today actually because i was we were i was talking about it with somebody is shadows is an entire faction that does not care about the existence of shadows Like Not a single card cares if you have a Shadows creature in play. At least that I've seen. So if you guys have something that I'm just missing, uh, please let us know. But from what I can tell, Shadows doesn't care about Shadows. Mars cares way too much about Mars for me to feel comfortable with it. And it certainly does bring some interesting things to the table but for me it just feels like so often i either play I, a mars creature i play is so low power that it's so inconsequential that i even put it on the table and it just gets blown up by some brobnar brute or you know i have this great card in hand and i i, I guess my best story for mars and why i it is my least favorite house is i and this is 100 percent my own interpretation and it was very very stupid but in in turn very very funny when it happened was I played a mating season, and uh, so mating season is, uh, it's a, a, an action, you play, it is an action, you gain an amber, and then it has play, shuffle each Mars creature into its owner's deck. Each player gains one amber for each creature shuffled into their deck this way, which I read that as, you gain one amber for each creature shuffled into their deck this way. So I had three, he had five and i was like i'm gonna get eight amber and look at this chump and i played the card and i was like why does he have 12 amber all of a sudden and i looked and i'm like why do i only have three amber and realized that i just handed my opponent two keys uh which again was totally my fault because i misread that card so hard <laughs> uh but it was just like one of those things it's like oh it cares about all mars creatures you know, it it that and it makes for interesting gameplay. Obviously, that that was a very interesting misplay that I found funny. Uh, but it's just, I feel like the house needs so much support from itself, and then on top of that, it needs support from other houses. To me, I'm I'm probably still just playing them wrong, but that's fine. I, I again, it's a it's a house I want to learn more, just because like it is my least favorite house. Uh, and I play this deck a lot, so I, I do I, I'm more comfortable with them now. Uh, but it's just every time I play a creature, I'm just like, ah, I wish I could I wish I could have picked any other house. But having said that, I still have some positives about uh, about Mars. in uh, particularly a couple of, of cards. Tunk being one of them. Uh, Tunk is a creature. He's six power with one armor. Uh, after you play another Mars creature, fully heal Tunk. So if you can, if you can do things that allow you to exhaust and ready Tunk in the same turn, and just keep putting down Mars creatures. Tunk alone can wipe a good portion of a board by itself, which is bananas. Like it's it's so much fun to do, especially if you can pull it off just the <laughs> right way. If you can figure out a way to ready, uh, exhaust, and, and ready him, and then keep playing Mars creatures, it's just so much fun to watch that chain reaction happen. I mean, it's a lot of the reason why I love this game too, is you just get to watch those chain yeah, reactions. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, Tunk definitely puts in a lot of work, and Mars seems like a uh, a house that it, it, the weird thing about Mars, you almost have to choose it as your house twice in a row. Like, if you put a couple Mars cards down, then you're going to want to use them the following turn, because otherwise what I've found with Mars um, is that if you don't use them again the following turn people will just chip away and take them out cuz they're they're really threatening if you can if you can ready them and then use them again they have crazy effects when they fight reap um, and you just don't you just don't want to let that happen um, so it's hard to keep them around but if you do if someone lets you keep them around you're really incentivized to use Mars a second time and that kind of feels bad yeah. if you don't draw any new Mars cards so i think mars as a house is really good in a deck where it has a lot of cards where it is the um the primary so to speak fact uh, where it is the primary so to speak house of the deck
0: yeah i think there's i mean <clears throat> there is a certain situation where you pretty much kind of always want to try to strive for the same house two turns so i definitely do agree with you on that the thing the thing that you end up running into. Is um with with Mars, I, I just don't I find that sometimes the creatures when they hit the table I don't get the like they'll hit and like like the big bruisers like Tunk and uh or the big bruisers like Tunk hit the table and then I end up losing all the little guys that I wanted to support Tunk. I end up losing them before I even get the chance to like play them. Uh, and there are some cards that that help l- allow me to play those creatures. Uh, but it's still just one of those things where I just seem to have a hard time keeping Mars creatures on the table that are less than three power.
1: Well, because, a lot of them are like, three or less power.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so with having said that, let's talk about the, I guess you could say, the most feels bad card in this (laughs) game uh and not in the fun way uh and i I really only mentioned that it's interesting because of of the kind of controversy that surrounds the card and that card is biomatrix backup and before i actually explain the card i kind of want to explain how a lot of destroyed effects work uh and, and this is straight from richard garfield himself Destroyed effects are intend uh, were intended to be effects that when they when the trigger happened they would completely resolve. You would have situations where it's like dis- destroy uh, when this thing's destroyed do x. So where Biomatrix backups controversy comes into play is it is a upgrade. So it's a card that you put on a creature. It gives you an ember for playing it and then it says this creature gains destroyed you may put this creature into its owner's archives. So the problem here is the clause of May and how turns work in Keyforge. It is implied based on the rules, or actually it's just stated in the rules that the active player makes all decisions for cards during their turn. That's where the May clause becomes a problem. So if I destroy Ryan's Mars creature that has Biomatrix backup on it, I get to choose where this creature goes when it dies. Right. Uh, which is not... It that seems wrong. It seems very wrong. Uh, Richard Garfield said that uh, that this was definitely a mistake. It was not supposed to say you may. It was supposed to just be put this creature into its owner's archives. But it, it's kind of become uh, what... it. it it makes for an interesting so- social interaction when you're playing like at your local game store where the question becomes, how do you play Biomatrix backup? You know, do we want to play this as I do get control over it? Or are we playing this as this is what the card says and this is what it does and sorry, because uh, the, the official ruling is this. Uh, I tend to just play it as the official ruling and try to work it in my favor. and And I don't think a lot of people think it's a dead card. Uh, I don't... I I do think there are some interesting things that you can do. Uh, especially with play effect creatures, where you can play it on something that will have an effect when it comes into play. Blow up everything, and then that card goes to your archives, you pull it up the next turn, and then you play it again, you get that benefit. Um, and yeah, it gives it's you an really amber. Not bad. I mean, it is bad, well, but... Trying to look at it, like, trying to make the best of it, it it's not a card that I would... I'm happy to play, but... For one, Amber, it's, it's I mean, definitely if, helpful.
1: If you could play it the way it was intended, this was more what I was... Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you could play it for the way it was intended. Which really I good.
1: think that eventually there'll be a Rata, Uh which is, it's a little early for them to publish a Rata yet, um, but I, I imagine that at some point, uh, once they kind of get all of their results in, so to speak, they will publish a Rata that effectively makes that work the way that it was supposed to.
0: Right. So, yes, and, and, and this is mostly an experience thing, but Logos is my other house that I just, uh, is my least favorite. Uh, the couple of times that I've played with them, I, I it's either I just haven't gotten the cards that make me do the cool things that Logos tends to pull off, but I only, it really comes down to I only own one deck, and it is a Logos Sanctum's Shadows deck. And it actually does okay. Um, I finally won with it once, but it had gone on a four four game losing streak uh the moment i opened oh, it but it's it's a, it's a fine deck it's just i think i just haven't figured out how to pilot it mm. yet but the the cards that i find interesting in logos uh, which are different than yours uh so <laughs> uh and and they are actually cards that i actually enjoy playing unlike biometrics backup but replicator uh replicator is a two power creature that has a reap trigger effect that is trigger the reap effect of another creature in play as if you controlled that creature uh that creature does not exhaust uh which annoyingly i've always played this trying to reap my neighbor's reap abilities not thinking that i could reap anything (laughs) so i've put that uh, the replicator in precarious situations in hopes of using that ability so that's something i need to to do better at but I, I think it's a cool card like i think it does uh it, it, it's a it's neat, a very cool,
1: cool. i mean that gives you a lot of um a lot of cross house play i can't think of any specific examples oh i guess i guess i, actually, well, I was gonna say so which good. of the uh which one is it which of the eye so you can use uh you can declare logos oh man so you could declare logos as your house play library access uh, then reap with replicator to use which of the eyes ability to return uh, library access back to your hand to play library access again. And now you're going to be drawing two cards off of every card you play.
0: Yep. Uh, the it other thing good. I thought of too uh, is do fairy. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Is. Yeah.
0: Is you can reap with do fairy. I, I mean, I, this would require house cheating, but you could reap with do fairy. And then reap with the replicator, and choose Do Fairy as your reap target, and now you've gotten yep. four amber. Uh, that turn. Uh, the other thing you could do, I mean, it also is another situation is like if there's a reap ability that you have on the table that you really like, you have it. You now have it in, uh, as an yeah. option two And if you get multiple, with no, if problems. you get
1: multiple replicators, you can r- use the same creature's reap ability. So if you get two replicators and a Do Fairy, you now have to additional dew fairies. Likewise, if you... uh, Yep. You can use... uh, So let's say you you declare Logos as your house, uh, you have a creature with a really good reap ability, and then you have the replicator, you can use the replicator to copy that first creature's reap ability and then also reap that creature. So you effectively get two out of the same activation.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's it's, a it's uh, a really interesting... I, uh, the problem is is I think it suffers from the same thing that Dew Fairy suffers from, in that it's so low power that people see it, and if you can't protect it's it, it just it's goes away. It's a It's a big away. threat. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you can house cheat, uh, it's perfect. But, because you can, or you can, if you can use it the same turn you you played it, uh, right. that's really good. But, uh, if, yeah, otherwise, if you have some way of having it come in of... Yep, but it if it gets blown up almost every time I've played it.
1: You could use a replicator to copy a different replicator to copy something else. No reason, no reason to do that other than style points, but you can,
0: (laughs) well, you get an Amber. no. You only get an Amber for the original. You only get an Amber for the original replicator. Right. You don't get amber for reap the no, other thing. There's, there's no. Ability. There's no point. You're to effectively copying it. Yeah, you're copying. Right. So, it so if you from have
1: creatures creature. A, B, and C, B and C both being replicators, you take replicator C and copy A, replicator B and copy A. That's the same thing as saying replicator C copies replicator B to copy replicator uh, to copy creature A. Because it's totally the same thing. It's just style points, which, you know, that's right. not nothing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. There, note, there, note that there is no actual thing called style points. That's just... That's outside the game.
0: They, maybe. Maybe, maybe they member. will
1: have style points. You do something awesome, you get extra ember. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm, yeah. there you go. Uh, so, so my other card that I think is super cool is transposition sandals. Transposition sandals and uh it is an upgrade uh you gain amber for playing it and this creature gains action swap this creature with another friendly creature in the battle line you may use that other creature this turn so what i've found is fun with transposition sandals is putting it on a creature like uh uh, titan mechanic which is a uh, i think it's a five power creature from in logos where it reduces all key costs by one as long as it is on a flank uh so what you do is you put transposition sand transposition sandals on the on the titan mechanic then use the titan mechanic to switch it to a different spot when it is not your right turn. so it's on the flank or when you're or when you're yeah, so or so but, it's not on the flank right, when it's so your it opponent's starts, turn. And if you're at the start about of
1: your turn, it's on your flank, you get the credit for it. Then during that same right. turn, you use it to swap with something else so it's no longer longer on the flank, and that way only you gain the benefit. That's awesome.
0: Right. Yeah, so so it's a neat little thing. There's a couple of other cards that you can do it with. Um there's a knight, uh I forget it's not raiding knight. Oh to staunch read it ahead knight. Here? oh uh, yeah staunch knight
1: it. is the one you're thinking of staunch knight's a sanctum creature yep. uh four power two armor staunch knight gets plus two power while it's on a flank um that that works great with those boots because mm-hmm. i imagine where you're going th- or the sandals rather I imagine where you're going is you put them on the knight and that way no matter where you play your creatures he you can just swap to the flank at all times
0: so there's another little interesting play That you can do with this uh, as well, specifically with staunch knight or or really anything that's gonna that wants to hang out on the flank, is in Brobnar, there is a creature called Valder. Uh, She is six power and she gains plus two power when attacking a creature on a flank. So if you want to keep something alive that's on a flank, you can put the transposition sandals on that to keep her from getting the damage buff. You know, keep her from getting that damage buff when trying to kill that creature. Uh, Alternately, you can reposition things on the battlefield to gain benefits from other things like Shadow Selves, which is a nine-power creature that does no damage, but accepts all all damage to its neighbors are redirected to it. So you can flip creatures around to put them next to... uh, put them next to shadow self so you can make sure that they don't die or if you have something that you just played this turn and you want it to be next to the shadow self whatever has the boots that is currently next to shadow self you can just put you can just swap their places so being able to manipulate the battle line like that ends up being really really interesting it's it's one of my favorite local That's pretty cards cool. like that so you definitely we share yeah, a common we do these favorite house so i don't know if we need to no, I
1: spoke my piece a little bit. I'm not. I'm not a fan of Mars. Uh, I mean, for this, mostly the same reasons you are. It's it's a very um, parasitic house. Um, doesn't really care about any other houses. It works best with itself. Uh, it kind of makes you want to almost play like a mono Mars deck. Obviously, not possible. But <laughs> if it were, it, Mars would love that. Um, and it's very creature dependent. It does have some artifacts, but those artifacts require you to have Mars cards in your hand or to have Mars cards on the table. It's just a very, very like you want Mars and nothing else, um, in your deck. And it's, I don't know, it's just very clunky and awkward. Now I, a lot of this may be, um, because I don't, I have one or two Mars decks. I haven't played a lot of them. Some of that is because I'm, I just haven't had a lot of fun playing them. The one or two times I have, maybe if I played them more and got used to playing Mars, got better with playing Mars, uh, I would enjoy Mars more as a, a house. Um, maybe if I had better Mars cards, I would enjoy playing Mars more. So I'm not, I'm not going to say it's actually. Why well, I'm not going to say anything is actually a bad house, but it's just not something I've found myself. Um, Leaning towards if I if I open a deck and it's got Mars, it's you know makes me shed a single tear. And I I don't I don't really have any cards of, of particular interest. I'm not really interested in Mars. Uh, there are some there are some cool cards though. I yeah, got um, I one see. of the recent decks I got I had Ammonia Cloud, um, which is a Mars action that just deals three to uh, all creatures, which is pretty cool because it's a board wipe. I mean, you know, nothing super fancy about that, um, but it's neat. Board wipes are cool uh beyond
0: it's a fun like turn turn to right you can kind
1: of sandbag 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 and then blow everything up and then drop the rest yeah. of your mars house you can sculpt your hand over several turns play all of your non-mars stuff and so your entire hand is pretty much mars and then just drop it all and, and dominate the following turn um beyond mars yep. uh my other least favorite faction is sanctum um not that it isn't good; it's very good, and it's actually the my two favorite decks: Richard the Scaled and uh, Cornelius and Monkios, the Mighty. Uh, both actually have Sanctum in them, um, and they are crucial to winning games in both of those decks. There's just a lot of support uh, in both of the in in the house as a whole. Um, there's a lot of really useful stuff: a lot of removal, a lot of healing, a lot of defense, a lot of control, um, a lot of Ember generation. I just really don't like paladins. I really hate the whole holy knight aesthetic. And so it irks me that they are effective and work well with my personal play style. And it just, every time I see one of those knights, I just, I cringe and grit my teeth a little bit because I'm just not a fan. (laughs) So...
0: I think that the approach to them is like their, the, the approach to their look is really, really cool. Like it, it really gives off the future yeah, night. They, they,
1: it's, it's weird to say, even though I don't like the aesthetic of them, it's a good aesthetic. Like they nail what they're going for. They're going for like future Holy night space paladin kind of thing. And they do a great job with it. Like the cards are evocative. They look like they, um, like the art in them, like bulwark, for example, we talked about him earlier. He's the one that grants armor to his comrades or his neighbors. Um, you know, it's a guy with like a, a big, uh, big old shield, uh, wearing like a space plate, and it it's it evokes exactly what you expect. Oh yeah, he's he's protecting someone. There's people in the art behind him. He's doing that. I just ah, not a fan of space knights, but they do a great job with it. Not take anything away from it. It's just not my personal preference. Too. Such a um, job. And so it irks me that it's in my two favorite decks, and that I actually I. As the cards, like if someone whited out the art on those cards, I would, like, I would have no problem with those cards. But like playing it, it also looks like an exclamation point. Their uh, their house logo, it's the order it of the exclamation point. it, does. it, it
0: yeah, <laughs> it, I, yeah, I got nothing. I it does. I can't argue. Although they, I can also
1: um, see it being the cat eye. It's the uh, the order of the cat eyes. Uh, oh
0: yeah. Seems vaguely, yeah, a little in a way.
1: um But they're cool. Nothing, nothing against Sanctum. I really, they're they're more of a throwaway answer to least favorite house uh, because they're a great functionally, mechanically, they're a fantastic house. They have a lot of synergy, um, especially with houses like Shadows uh, that tend to maybe have weaker creatures and need a little bit of help to shore up those lower power creatures that have a lot of, that have effective abilities. Um, Sanctum really helps provide that between taunt and healing in um, cards like bulwark, uh, or putting really nasty threats down on the table that need to be dealt with. And instead of the shadows threats, um, or by helping using the sanctum creature to remove an opposing threat before it can remove your threat, there's a lot of really good utility in sanctum. and I, I don't think I will ever be unhappy to see sanctum as one of the houses in a deck. Um, I think that probably my favorite combination is sanctum logos and it's kind of a toss-up between untamed and shadows um i like the style of shadows but untamed has some really powerful stuff in it um so it's it's tricky either way
0: yeah i there it's funny to me because you look at if we were talking about cheating specifically uh they have some of the best house cheating but literally the worst key cheat <laughs> in the entire game. Uh, it, it, and you know, it, it's not, I, I hate to say it's, it's not the worst. It's just so hard, uh, No, it's the worst. Uh, key abduction is probably the second worst, uh, which we'll talk about key abduction another day. But so, so their one key cheating card is called Epic Quest. It is an artifact. That when you play it, you archive each friendly knight creature in play. So you're bouncing all of. Not you're not even bouncing the knights to your hand. You're bouncing the knights to your archive. And then it has Omni. If you played seven or more Sanctum cards this turn, sacrifice Epic Quest and Forge a Key. Well, are no you.
1: Cost. No, I, I haven't seen this card before. That card is amazing. Are you kidding
0: me? It's so it's, hard to play. So it's. It, it's
1: I, I understand it's 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 verging into Magic Christmas Land territory of you know, like you need to have the kind of perfect situation for it to work. Um, but, like, that's like I've 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 had three or four. Um, well, to be fair, they're Sanctum cards. I'm I'm assuming they were knights. Um, but let's uh, probably actually, yeah, no, I've had three or four knights in play at one given time. So, archive those, and then just need to get a couple more knights into play uh, on a on a later turn um and that's i mean that's doable that's not even i'd say maybe moderate difficulty but that's and it's a free key you pay no ember so i mean that's
0: yeah i mean you can certainly pull a two turn uh like you can forge a key and then threaten a key uh but to be honest i i again i don't have a car i don't have a deck with uh i wish i did just to try
1: one thing to consider uh, is that it's as we mentioned a little bit uh, earlier in the um in the episode it's tough to remove artifacts um even if you bounce this that's not i mean it's annoying but it's not the end of the world because uh i mean that might even actually help you like you you play this archive a bunch of nights um and then maybe you get a couple more down, uh, like a slow trickle so that you can't actually use it yet. And then someone bounces it to your hand. You can play it again and archive those knights. And then on a following turn, you get all those knights back. All those knights are sanctum and blap. You just shoot them all out and then to get a free key. Like, this is this is a very strong card, especially, like I said, considering that there is, there's a limited ways to destroy or interact with... Um, opponent's artifacts um i would i would be very annoyed and frustrated to see this across the table
0: yeah yeah i mean it's it's certainly interesting uh i mean it's certainly no key abduction that that card is certainly not i'm not a fan of that card either but uh so yeah so i think i think that kind of does it for us um i mean we're going to go play we're going to go play in our first tournament tomorrow that should be interesting. Uh, we we've not played a competitive game yet. We've, we've certainly played a ton of Crucible, and we've played a ton of you know games in person with our, our kind of very large friend group that somehow got obsessed with this game as well. That's good, yeah. But uh, yeah, it should be yeah, it should be good. So, but yeah, so I I think uh, we will have a probably more about that mm-hmm. next week. Yeah. So yeah, so our release schedule is probably going to be a weekly thing uh, t- to kind of go over like what we're, what we're looking to accomplish here is we're, we're definitely going for, for the kind of competitive amateur. Uh, we, we definitely are going to like do tournaments and stuff like that and, and, and talk about organized play a lot, probably more than than straight up casual play. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, you should expect an episode from us next week as well.
1: I believe the release schedule we're looking at is Fridays.
0: Yes. So Fridays will be our, the day we'll publish and uh, then we go to recording on Saturdays. Yeah.
1: Hey, gives you plenty of time to edit, man.
0: (laughs) So yeah. So I think that's it for us. Uh, Everybody have a great night. Thank you for listening or, well, I don't know what time it is when, where you are, but, uh, (laughs) or when you're listening to this, but uh, have a good, have a good one. And uh, thanks for listening.